You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, it's Jean Chatsky, and welcome to Her Money. I was just confessing to Randy Zuckerberg, my guest here in the studio. Hi, Randy. Hi. I was just confessing to Randy that technology and I are not really good friends. In fact, <laughs> I think I'm, and and I, I, I do try, but I think I'm one of those people, although I'm tempted to say one of those women, for whom it's complicated, it's scary, it's the thing that besides having to hold on the line for the cable company, it's it's the thing that can kind of drive me to being a little bit out of control and nasty and, you know, screaming. And I'm not that person. Um, And I'm sure that I am not the only one, which is one of the reasons, just one, that I'm so glad that you're here today because maybe you can help me, like, solve this problem in my life. Thank you, Will. First of all, I'm thrilled to be here. It's just so great to to be acquainted with you again after speaking together at a conference. And um, that's why the title of my book is called Dot Complicated, because it is overwhelming and complicated. Right. And you wrote this book. I remember the first time I saw you before we had actually met on the Today Show. And you wrote this book. It was like 2013, right? It was. And uh, it's funny because you immediately, you ask anyone, like, what dot complicated moment happened to you this week? And everyone has, you know, someone they accidentally pocket dialed or someone they, you know, like a, a, a photo that they shared that they didn't mean to share. Everyone immediately has their own dot complicated moment. It, it's true. So it's not just you. And it's not just our mobile devices. It's the computer. It's Pokemon Go. I mean, look oh. at that. That is like dot complicated in a nutshell. On one hand, you have people getting outside. It's so fun. On the other hand, they're like falling into lakes and off cliffs because they're not looking up from their phones. <laughs> it's amazing. Let me just tell everybody a little bit about you because you've got an interesting background. I think a lot of people certainly know of you, but they may not know all of the things that you've done in a very short period of time. Um, you're the CEO of Zuckerberg Media, author of Dot Complicated, which was a New York Times bestseller. You've got your own radio show on Sirius XM, and you're going to have a, a cartoon. Yes. Dot, uh, my my eight-year-old little girl who, uh, I have two sons in real life, so Dot is kind of like my daughter, my little animated daughter, but she's a super tech-savvy entrepreneur entrepreneurial eight-year-old little girl, and uh, it's going to be a cartoon on Sprout about her adventures with tech. Why is it, and I, I, there's so many efforts now to get women into tech, um, from what Carly Kloss is doing with Girls Who Code and a variety of efforts around the country. The White House is engaged. What is it about technology that scares women, not just me? 
Well, I mean, first of all, I love all of these initiatives. I think that um, we need to change the conversation from very early on. A lot of the studies show that it is around seven, eight years old that we start losing girls in in science and math. That's when society starts telling them, oh, you're not good at, at math. Girls aren't good. They should be cute and pretty. So I love all of these initiatives. I think we have to come at it from every angle. I think it it's a complicated question. It's complicated because when you look at Silicon Valley, there's so much opportunity out there, but the opportunity is really mostly being realized by men because mm-hmm. it's men investing in other men, hiring other men, mostly men graduating from computer science. So I think instead of struggling to fix the problem from inside Silicon Valley, we need to go outside and get into the schools, into pop culture, in the media, into families, and just start earlier. You know, Kathy Murphy, who is the president of Fidelity Investments, I've heard her tell this incredibly eye-opening story about a little girl named Piper who came into her office with her mother. The the daycare was closed that day or she was sick from school. She was about eight or nine years old. And by the middle of the day, she was um, essentially running the office. I mean, at nine, she had people catering to her and she requested a window (laughs) and a corner and she, you know, she had it going on and she knew exactly what she wanted to do. But the following week, Kathy was in a classroom of high school girls. And the difference between this take charge eight-year-old and these high school girls Mm -hmm. who were sitting back and not engaging, particularly when it came to math, was Marked. Astounding. Market. Mm-hmm. And the statistics bear it out that that somewhere between that age of eight and high school is where we lose them. That's right. And all the studies show that uh, when you have women on boards, women on executive teams, companies do better. The bottom line, the revenue is better for companies. So something is being lost in translation and the fact that women are great leaders. They're great for business model and for the bottom line of companies. But we're just not doing enough early on to push women towards aspirations in leadership, especially in technology. Did your parents, um, and knowing that they've raised, I mean, your brother Mark and you, your two very and tech two other savvy, sisters, awesome are, sisters. And are they, are they tech savvy as well? You know, I uh, my parents are both doctors, um, and my dad was always very entrepreneurial. He was like, very into the maker movement before it was even called the maker movement. Mm-hmm. I remember we had this big computer in his office. He's a dentist. Okay. And uh, he had this giant computer where you could swap your smile with someone else's, and that's how he would <laughs> show his patients, like, after I do all this dental work, this is how your smile is going to look. Nowadays, you could do that on a Snapchat filter, right? right. You don't need a whole computer for that. But I remember even from very early on, there was always a lot of tech in the house. There was always a lot of uh, experimentation and DIY. And so we definitely something that was encouraged from early on. And did it come easily to you? Or was it just that it came as easily as it probably does to many girls, but you never felt like you needed to abandon it? 
You know, it definitely didn't come easily. And I'm part of that generation, part of that group of moms and, and parents who straddle both the low tech and the uh, and digital citizen world. On one hand, I mean, I didn't own my first mobile phone until I was in college. I um, In high school, the first half of high school, I wrote all my papers by hand, the second half on the computer. So I, I mean, I really have very vivid memories of a world without tech. But now here I am raising two boys who are digital natives. And so I um, I have a lot of empathy for all the parents out there who straddle both of those worlds. It is not easy to have one foot in kind of the old world and one foot in the digital world. There's so many advances um, technologically that help us when it comes to our finances, that I think in order to take advantage of some of those, we've got to get over those tech hurdles. So when you're trying to coach people and help them embrace it in a way where it doesn't feel like it's too much for them, how do you do it? It's a great question. And I think... um we especially captured this really well in DOT because when you look at young kids and tech, they don't come to tech from a place of fear like adults do. For kids, the future is friendly. Tech is just seamlessly blended into their lives. But for some reason, adults, we come to technology from a place of fear and guilt and bad feelings. We either come to it where we're scared, we're nervous, we're overwhelmed when it comes to our children. We feel guilty, like Mm -hmm. we shouldn't put tech in front of them. We don't know what to do. So I always encourage people to kind of embrace how would a child view this? Um, Are you coming to this from a place of fear or are you truly open-minded to all of the opportunity that this tech can bring to your life? Is there a difference between putting tech in front of your child and putting screens in front of your child? I mean, I was raised... I was raised on Sesame Street. I mean, my mother, you know, says that Sesame Street was, and Mr. Rogers. Oh, yes. boy, I get her started on oh, Mr. Yeah. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Three, was two, the, one contact was another big one in our house. Right. And that was the best babysitter. But now we're all sort of cautioned about too much screen time. So what's the difference between good technology and too much screen time? I think the general rule that I use is that tech should bring you closer to your family, not put up a barrier between you and your family. So if the only use of tech in your house is putting a tablet in front of a child as a babysitter, you're probably not using tech to bring your family closer together. That being said... I live in the real world. I'm a real mom. Like, I've been on that airplane ride from hell where, like, you just need to put your kid in front of an iPad watching movies to Mm -hmm. make it through the flight. I've been there in the morning when you just need to take a shower. And so you're like, here's the iPhone, you know, watch something. But I think in general, if the balance can lean more towards tech bringing the family together rather than separating with a screen, that's what we should all aim for. My kids when they were younger and got their first Game Boys, we would leave the Game Boys in the car because at that point, it made the car ride go faster wherever we were they going. They look forward to it. And yeah. it was special time with the Game Boy. That's in the right. Car. Exactly. So uh, I'm not going to get on a soapbox and tell parents, uh, you know, don't put your kid in front of a screen because that's not realistic. And also, every other kid is being put in front of a screen. So you also don't want your children to be behind when they get to school. And when you talk about technology bringing people closer together, I mean, the thing that works the best is just texting. There is never or very, very rarely a time when I don't get an immediate response from my kids if I text them. If I call, 
it'll go to voicemail. But if I if I text, even if they're in the middle of something, even if they're in the middle of class, they will answer. Yeah. And, you know, that to me feels like it actually is bringing us closer together. It is. I mean, sometimes I have to admit, even when my phone rings, I'm like, what is going on? Why Why is someone thinking that I use my phone this way? Right. Why ah. is somebody calling me? Don't call me. Why is Text it ringing? Me. <laughs> and yet I'm a proponent of talking. I, I do I am. think I agree. it's important I'm, I mean, here we are on the radio. It is very important to talk and, and pick up the phone. But I do think that, that tech does have this beautiful opportunity to bring people closer together. But as adults, we just come at it from a place of fear, and we don't have to. How do we counsel adults to get over to the fear, to embrace that child? I think any adult would benefit from looking at how children view tech. Children don't think, okay, now I'm going to use tech, and now I'm not. Tech is just seamlessly integrated into everything they do. They're not afraid of tech. They don't come from a place of fear. For children, the future is friendly. It's not fearful. Uh, but as adults, somewhere along the line, we've picked up guilt. We've picked up fear. We've picked up anxiety over tech. So if we can look at it from the perspective of, you know, the characters in my show, Dot, who are embracing tech and just living modern childhood, I think that uh, that would all help us get over our fear and our anxiety a bit more. And we don't have to do it all at once. No, you don't have to become a, a total tech advocate tomorrow. But, you know, trying something new, talking to your kids about what they're using and familiarizing yourself with it. These are all ways to get more comfortable step by step. What are your favorite tech solutions to help people with their money? Mm, this is a great one. It's uh, it's so interesting because money is definitely uh, one of those places. I used to Anytime that someone talks to me about, you know, how they don't want to put anything online because of fear of privacy, which is a very legitimate fear. I don't want to undermine people's fear. I always go back to talking about online banking and I say, okay, you know, remember a world where there was no online banking? Like, you know, someone took that first step. Someone was nervous about their privacy, but then realized that the value trade-off was so much greater to be able to manage your money online. That's what you have to think about when you think about finance and tech. You have to think, okay, if I'm a little nervous about downloading a new app, putting my information in, um, is the value that I'm going to get, the savings on my time, on my energy and my effort, so much that it's worth that little trade-off? Everything in life is a trade-off. And I think uh, a lot of these apps, I love the Bank of Mom it's one oh. of my favorites. Now, I don't know that one. I think they actually just changed the name to Bankaroo because okay. dads, you know, dads they want dads to participate too. Basically, if you are giving your child an allowance, whether that's something you're giving or you're basing it on chores, um, you can manage it from an app. And uh, you can actually give an allowance in money or in digital minutes. So you can decide if you're going to give it that way through the app. And then when your children want to cash in either their money or their digital minutes, they use it through the app, too. I love that because for such a long time when I would be asked about giving an allowance, I would talk about how it's not necessarily the right thing to trade money for doing chores in the household because there are certain things that matter to other kids more, like time on the computer or right. digital minutes. But now that it gives you a choice, that's really, really smart. That's right. And uh, so your kids can decide they want to blow all their digital minutes in one afternoon or they want to save them. And uh, I, so you can really 
really, you can learn what motivates your child. Important. Important. (laughs) I'm talking with Randy Zuckerberg, and we're talking about the links between money and technology. I just want to remind everybody that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments, and Fidelity is focused on helping women like us take charge of our financial lives by doing things like downloading apps that help us get a little more time in our day. We all deserve to live the lives that we've worked so hard for. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one, information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married, divorced, or starting a new career. And again, that's fidelity.com slash it's time. You know, it's funny that you talk about online banking. I mean, when I think about the tech advances that have saved me the most time and therefore money in my life, because I always am equating time with money. I know what an hour of my time is worth, and I know what takes a long time to do. I mean, online banking has saved me a ton of time, and online grocery shopping has saved me a ton of time. It's funny. And people always ask my favorite apps, and I think they expect to hear something like new and avant-garde and cutting edge. But for me, it really is like online banking, PayPal, Instacart. Like, it's those simple apps that help you save so much time every day. And uh, I highly recommend it for people who are not taking advantage of, like, grocery delivery and online. online bill pay and things like that. It's, I mean, it just, you'll reclaim hours of your week. I was driving, I came back yesterday from a couple days away at the beach. Um, I wasn't actually driving because I wouldn't do this if (laughs) I was driving, but my husband was driving. I have the Peapod app on my phone. I sat in the passenger seat with the dog on my lap and ordered groceries and they showed up at my door at 7.15 this morning. It's and amazing. It, it, Magic. Amazing. Amazing. It didn't even eat <laughs> up that much data. Okay, I want to switch gears here a second, and I want to talk about Broadway. Yay. Um, Jazz hands so in the you studio. Did, I know. So <laughs> we shared this. I was a theater kid in high school and college, and I have this thing in my head that one day I'm just going to start auditioning for community theater again because I kind I of think miss you are. doing it. And What was your you, role? Like, what was your favorite role? Oh, I, my favorite role. I was Frenchie in Greece. Oh, you'd be a great... Oh, I was a good Frenchie. I was awesome. um, Eileen in Wonderful Town in college. I was, oh, you know, we did a lot of different, I was in the chorus yeah. many different times, but <laughs> you actually did it. Like you you went and you spent a couple of weeks on Broadway. So I want you to tell me as a, as a high school, college theater kid, how did that happen? Well, it was an amazing experience. And I felt like I was living the dream on behalf of millions of people out there who were in a high school show and then their dream never went further than that. It was really exciting. I always have been passionate about theater and musical theater. And uh, a few years ago, I got a call from the producers of Rock of Ages saying, you know, hey, our show has been on Broadway about five years. We're looking to uh, put some new fresh energy into it. And we're looking for someone who could bring a social media audience. Do you want to come uh, for about a few, you know, month or two and do a lead role on Broadway? And uh, I thought I was getting punked. I thought Ashton Kutcher <laughs> was going to jump out and be like, punked. Um, I was like, you can't mess with my dream that way. But I I did. I immediately moved to New York and opened on Broadway two weeks later. Wow. It was an incredible experience, um, but also a lesson, I think, to all of us out there. Um, 
that we can be entrepreneurial in our own lives, even without going and starting a company, like just by saying yes to opportunities that make you a little uncomfortable, that put you outside of your comfort zone and kind of just embracing that fear and saying yes is I know that, you know, one day I'll be talking to my grandkids saying that this was one of the highlights of my life that I said yes to that opportunity. Did you think about saying no? I definitely didn't think about saying no, although I, uh, when I found out exactly what I had to do, how many dances I had to learn in two weeks, how many lines I had, that I had to wear a sparkly thong leotard on Ooh. stage in front of like a thousand people every night, there were definitely moments that I questioned my decisions and my ability to do it. But Did um, you get to wear tights with that? I did. I did okay, get good. to wear tights. <laughs> Thank goodness. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm a mom of two. Like things do not look that good in a sparkly thong leotard anymore. But you know what? I'm so grateful that I did that opportunity and I just jumped in with both feet. And it was definitely one of the coolest life experiences I've had. Has it made you want to invest on Broadway? And full disclosure, I asked this. My husband and I once invested in a musical, um, $10,000, lost every penny. <laughs> Not our smartest moment. But, you know, you get a little caught up in yeah. that soup of You know, things. I would love to produce for Broadway one day. I'm not sure you could really call it investing. It's more like being a patron of the arts, yes. I would have to say. That would so be a good way to I look at it. I feel like you can't look into theatrical investing as a money-making opportunity. You just have to do it because you love the arts and you want to see something come to life that didn't exist before. Um, but I actually am a patron of the arts this coming Broadway season in a new musical called Dear Evan Hansen, which oh. is about cyberbullying. It's a beautiful musical. And for me, I mean, cyberbullying is a huge topic that I think about, that I'm passionate about. And uh, that's, you know, really one of the most dot complicated things there is out there about tech. So when this musical crossed my plate, it just it was the perfect marriage of two things that I loved. That's wonderful. That's really exciting. It's Thank supposed you. to be a big hit. We'll see. Again, with Broadway, you don't invest because you think it's going to be a big hit. You invest because you love the art form. But um, I, I'm really excited about this one and really uh, excited to help uh, bring it to a bigger audience. That's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit before we wrap up here about Dot Complicated and the online community that it inspired. What happens in this community and who should visit? I think uh, anyone out there who feels like tech is enhancing your life, but you feel overwhelmed and anxious about it, on Dot Complicated, our our site, we have essays, we have thoughts from uh, from all kinds of people, experts in different fields, regular people just like us who uh, are kind of feeling overwhelmed by tech in an area of their lives and sharing their own life hacks about how they overcame it. Um, and also, if you're looking for ideas on how tech can bring you closer to the things you love instead of putting up a barrier between you and the things you love, those are all sorts of things we cover on Dot Complicated. How does tech, and, and you've made this link a couple of times, but how does tech help you become more entrepreneurial? I think tech uh, encourages you to try new things, think in new ways. I mean, when we look at all of these photo editing, video apps, we are so much better storytellers. We're so much better marketers, all of us, than generations 20, 30 years ago sure. who didn't have access to those tools. I mean, an eight-year-old today can be an exceptional filmmaker. Uh, and so I think 
it's all of these tools that put the power in our hands to be creators, to think like business people, to think like makers and entrepreneurs. So when I say think like an entrepreneur, I don't necessarily mean go start your own business tomorrow, but I mean try new things because the cost of trying and failing is minuscule. So tell me your top three hacks of the moment. What are your three greatest tech tips right now. They don't have to be financial, but if they are, I won't penalize you. Well, I think one of my greatest tech tips actually is around unplugging. As crazy Mm -hmm. as that sounds, I think we've come to a point where we all got so infatuated with being connected all the time that we didn't realize what that was doing to our relationships, to our brains. And so I think the number one hack that I have for people is to have some time without your phone because that will just make you so much more productive when you do have it. Do you think that all the plugged in time is hurting our short-term memories. I always am thinking of this when I'm tempted to just Google something to quick find an answer. It is. I actually, um, on my radio show that I do, which is also called Dot Complicated, I, I like to ask my guests, I like to give them a hypothetical scenario. Like, you are in the middle of Disney World. You're supposed to meet your friend. You have no tech. How do you do it? And uh, I kind of throw them into situations where 20, 30 years ago, these were the norm situations. And we've sort of forgotten how to mm-hmm. live without tech. Like we've outsourced so much of our brain to the cloud that if there was a zombie apocalypse, I honestly don't know how I'd survive. I remember like three things. So what is the right answer to that Disney World question? Go to Cinderella's Castle and stay there? I mean, that's a great one. I've heard that one. Some people have said like you go to the kid lost and found and you say, I lost my kid, but then you say your friend's name over the loudspeaker. <laughs> like people have all kinds of, of thoughts and solutions. But the Cinderella Castle one is, I think, a pretty good one. It's, Find like a central, central landmark. Yeah. That's right. Um, I mean, I think we already covered another one of my my tech hacks, which is finding ways to get things delivered to you. I love, I mean, there's so many great apps out there. You could get everything from hair and makeup done in your office uh, through uh, Glam Squad, sites like that, to your groceries delivered. You can get alcohol delivered for a cocktail party if you're throwing or a dinner party. You can have chefs come to your house for a fraction of the cost of eating out. So um, there are so many great apps out there that bring things to you if you're starved for time. And uh, I think my third is also to make sure that you're spring cleaning your tech just like you would your closet. How do you do that? Um Every month or so, go on your phone. If you haven't used an app for a few months, get rid of it. It's just taking up space in your mind, in your life, on your phone, and uh, get rid of it like you would an old pair of jeans in your closet. It's not like you can't get it back again. That's right. A second later, you could download it again if you needed. Absolutely. Well, (laughs) Randy Zuckerberg, this was fun. We are going to tune in to Duck Complicated on XM, Sirius XM, and also um, look for Dot. When is Dot coming out? October 22nd on Sprout, which is NBC's kids' channel, and uh, we'll have some fun Halloween tech episodes to launch with. That sounds great. Thanks for coming in. (laughs) Thank you so much. What fun. It's funny that we're talking so much about technology and our fears about technology because technology is what allows us to gather your questions and to have Kelly in the studio every week with your questions. Hi, Kelly. Hello. Did you have a good weekend? Very good weekend. I played some beach volleyball. Very. People who don't know you don't know that you're six feet tall. Yes. And you played volleyball in college. Mm-hmm. And court volleyball, though. I did. I played indoor. 
and this is a little different? So much different. So much more difficult, I would say. But I was inspired by the Olympics, and I got out there. It was the first time I've played competitively in probably a few years, and I'm in a lot of pain, but it was worth it. It was good? Absolutely. I did not play beach volleyball, but I did get on my paddleboard. I over did the get weekend, on my okay. paddleboard over the weekend, and, nice. and that was uh, that was actually really nice and very zen and relaxing and not at all competitive, well, which is more my style. But a great workout. Yeah. yeah, it was great. All right, we've got questions. We do. What do we have? Our first question is from Daycare Baby on Twitter. She tweeted you asking, what's one personal finance tip you would give to a new in-home daycare business owner? Wow. What's one personal finance tip? So let me broaden it just a little bit. And this is the same tip that I would give to any new business owner. And that's businesses take a little while to get going. And and it's true no matter what kind of business you're starting. And so you want to try to run leanly at first so that whatever stash of capital you've been able to put aside to keep yourself going can keep you afloat for a good six months to a year. Because in my experiences, if you burn through it faster than that, you may not have enough time for the word of mouth about your business to get you going. And in addition to that, I would say try to use all the technology that Randy and I were talking about to spread that word of mouth for your business. So you want to know who in your area is talking about daycare, and you want to be targeting those people on Facebook, on Twitter, with your information so that you become a resource for them. Social media is such a great free marketing tool. It's a great free marketing tool if you use it correctly. Otherwise, I think it becomes a little bit of a time suck. Sure. And so it's you want to go out there and search the hashtags for people who are having the conversations that you want to participate in. Maybe there are daycare provider groups on LinkedIn. I mm. haven't searched for any, but I bet they exist. Join them, share information, and become a valuable contributor to the conversation if you're trying to use it for business. Thanks, Jean, and thanks, Daycare Baby, for that question. Now we have a question from Rita. She sent us an email saying, My bank just merged with a very large national bank and drastically dropped the interest rates paid on savings and checking accounts. I am looking for another local bank in my area. What banks pay the highest interest rates with least amount of fees? I am not interested in opening a CD. So this happens a lot, right? Banks do merge frequently uh, and Sometimes the fee structure changes when that happens. The best thing to do is to just go online and do a search in your area for the institutions that pay the highest rates of interest. And if you go to a website like bankrate.com, under the savings tab, you'll be able to put your state in and you'll be able to find very, very easily which institutions pay the most. Credit unions are a really good place to look in terms of places that tend to pay higher than average savings rates and charge lower than average credit card rates. They tend to be a little more consumer friendly in that way. And the other thing to look at are high interest rate checking accounts. Now, high interest rate checking accounts don't work 
like traditional checking accounts, they tend to have maximum balances rather than minimum balances because they'll pay interest of up to 2%. I've even seen 5%, but they cap the amount of money on which they're willing to pay that interest at sometimes $5,000 or $10,000 or $25,000. And so you want to know what that is. And you also want to know what hoops you have to jump through in order to capture that rate of interest. Typically, you have to pay a bill or two online, receive a direct deposit every single month, and use your debit card to transact 10 to 12 times. So if that's something that you do anyway, I think these are a great way to capture the money. And you can find those online as well. Thanks, Kelly. And thanks, thanks everybody, for uh, sending in your questions. Just a reminder, you can get us on Facebook, on Twitter, at Gene Chatsky, on where else? GeneChatsky.com. We have a brand new question box that people can submit questions to on your podcast page. So it's easy to do. Go there, GeneChatsky.com. You'll find it right on the front, and you can submit a question. Perfect. All right. Send us your questions, and we will do our best to get to every single one. On our Thrive segment today, we're going to continue our conversation about moms. I was telling Randy Zuckerberg that I I believe that becoming a mom made me much more efficient, not just about my finances, although it did make me more efficient about my finances, but about everything. And my guest on this week's Thrive, Kimberly Palmer, has a new book out. It's called Smart Mom, Rich Mom. I like the sound of that. How to Build Wealth While Raising a Family, which, full disclosure, I endorsed. You'll see my blurb on her book, and I don't do that very often. She is a fellow financial journalist. I'm sure that you've seen one of her many articles in U.S. News and World Report. She's living in Washington, D.C. with her family, including her two kids, so she knows what she's talking about. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Hi, Jean. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. And so I want to start with you because you told me that this book comes from a very personal place. What do you mean? Yeah, it does. So I've been a mom for about six years now. My daughter is six. And Basically, as soon as I became a mom, I felt totally different in so many different ways, but including with money. And since I write about money, this was on my mind a lot. But I just felt like becoming a mom really changed everything in terms of how I thought about my savings and spending and everything from the day-to-day choices to long-term choices, like how am I going to pay for her college one day, those kinds of questions, too. So it basically, becoming a mom caused me to ask all of these questions, and I really didn't find the answers in too many places. I think a lot of media aimed at moms focuses on couponing and saving a dollar here and there, but, you know, that's just a small part of being a mom and the money choices we make. So I wanted to address all of these big issues, the ones that I found myself talking about with my mom friends um, and in my professional life. It's interesting that you say you found yourself talking about it with your mom friends. Were the were the conversations frequent? Because one of the things that I find is that they don't happen often enough. Yes. Yeah, so I think that maybe my friends are a little bit different, but I have always talked about money with my friends. And in fact, every time I have a group of college girlfriends, every single time one of us is negotiating a salary, we have like a little 
uh, talk about it. And we do kind of almost role play of each of us saying, okay, how should I handle this? What should I ask for? Not just the salary, but also with flexibility or benefits. And we talk all that through so openly. And I actually think it's helped us so much in these negotiations. So I do talk about money a lot with my friends. And of course, I know maybe not everyone does, but I love talking about money. And I think we can really support each other in some of these hard things we have to do with it. I like to think of all of our listeners, moms or not, as smart. But describe for me a smart mom. And how is a smart mom different or the same as a rich mom? It means different things for everyone when it comes down to the day-to-day of it, but a lot of the smart moms that I interviewed and feature in the book, they literally sit down once a month or every couple months, review their family finances. If they have a partner, they talk through some of those choices and decisions with the partner. They talk to their kids about money. It's basically something they're embracing. It's something that is as important, and I certainly believe this, as important as taking your kids to the doctor's also teaching our kids about money and making choices like taking out life insurance, some things that are uncomfortable or a challenge or not that fun to do, but important things as a mom that we have to take care of. I know that one of the statistics that inspired you to write this book in the first place was one that I talk about a lot, which is that Fidelity, our sponsor, did some research and found that At some point in our lives, 90% of women will be managing our money by ourselves, and that's because some of us stay single, some get married, get divorced like me, some are widowed. It's just – and because we're living longer, this is happening more and more. Do you find a difference between um, women who have partners and those who don't in their willingness to step up and take charge? More than that, I think the determining factor is often what we've been exposed to and what we've seen as women's life experiences, so what feels normal to us. Women who have seen their moms or their grandmothers go through really hard things like like widowhood or divorce and seen that, you know, no matter whatever your situation is right now, anything can happen down the road and in the future. And I think that's really what that 90% statistic speaks to for me. It's It's that life is so unpredictable, and that's why we have to be ready as moms to take over at any time if we're not already, take over managing the finances, earning money for our families. So I think, actually, for me, what's really inspired me is seeing women in my own family, older moms in my family, especially my grandmothers, seeing what they've gone through, talk to them about it. And it can just be eye-opening because, you know, anything can change. Life is, is long, hopefully, and we can go through a lot of different experiences. So we have to be prepared for that. Talking about money is one thing, but then you have to take action. So if you were going to lay out the definition of a smart, rich mom or a smart, rich woman, you just mentioned one of the other things that I know is on your list, and that's earning money. I'd love to go through what other criteria, what other boxes do you have to check in order to be that smart, rich woman? Yes. Well, I love checklists. Okay. So another thing to think about, and this speaks to the the bigger thing I sort of alluded to before, but being organized with your money goes so far. I think that today our finances can be so complicated. I mean, I know I've forgotten I've forgotten to pay things like our homeowner's insurance by accident. So I think 
it starts with being ultra organized. I am a very paper-based person, so I use a binder and I actually print out my account statement. So I have one from each and then that's what I sit down with to review once a month or at least once a quarter. So first organization. And then from there, you can get into the details. I found for my interviews that a lot of moms uh, actually end up losing a lot of money or just leaving money on the table because they have not taken advantage of all the workplace benefits that are available to them. So whether through their job or a partner's job, there's so many benefits that we don't end up signing up for. And for parents, a big one is flex spending because you have childcare costs in there that you can pay for on a pre-tax basis. You have healthcare costs, which of course tend to go up after we have kids. So making sure you're signing up for all of that is big. And then another one, and this is one that my girlfriends often ask me about kind of in private or text messages, but estate planning and life insurance, it's so uncomfortable to talk about often or even think about it's so important to take care of that and actually, uh, you know, make sure your family is protected from these unforeseen events. So that's a big one too. And, you know, it's really about just taking the time. We're so busy as moms, but just to set aside some time to put some energy and effort into this, to feel comfortable and confident that knowing that we are planning for our futures and working towards some of the big goals. The two biggest goals are often saving for retirement and saving for college. So if you can create accounts that you're, you know, automatically saving, deducting, saving each month or each paycheck into those accounts, you feel like you're making progress because well, you are making progress. Well, you're making it and then you can visit that progress and actually see the money adding up, which is very, very empowering. The book again is Smart Mom, Rich Mom, How to Build Wealth While Raising a Family. Kimberly Palmer, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining me here today on Her Money. If you like what you're hearing, just a plea from me, take a moment and share it with one friend. Because we all have that particular friend out there who we think could use a little bit of help with her money. And by passing along the podcast or a link to the podcast, you're just giving her a gentle nudge to get her life going in the right direction. I want to thank my guests, Randy Zuckerberg, of course, and Kimberly Palmer. We want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And join us next week when we'll be talking with Danielle Weisberg and Carly Zakin. You may not know their names, but they are the women who invented the skim, which if you're anything like me is one of those things you look at every single morning, at least every single weekday morning to get a bead on the news before you even open the New York Times. And that is the truth. It'll be a great conversation. We're going to take a field trip to their offices about 20 blocks from here. We're looking forward to that. And of course, we'll be answering your questions and we'll always have a great way for you to thrive. We'll talk then.